Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Um, once, once again, and uh, to see some new faces and to see the old faces uh, that I haven't seen for a little while. We are happy to be here, and we hope to spend the day with you. No rush to go anywhere. The battle of laws is the topic that I have, uh, the title, and it's something very simple. And it's simple, but very very important and crucial for us as believers that are living in these times. And we need to reflect on them on very regular basis as we go on in our different pursuits. But keeping in mind the bigger picture of the role that God has given us as his chosen people. There is a subject that law students um, do grapple with in in law school, and that is called conflict of laws. And I understand from some legal students that it's not one of her very interesting subject that a lot of law students like because it's very difficult. But in our Christian pursuit, we would sometimes come in situations that we have to deal with situations of conflict of laws. When the law of God conflicts with some other laws, and particularly it's going to be man's laws, And when those conflicts happen, we need to make a choice. And obviously, it's no-brainer that we're going to choose on the side of God. But it's not so simple that even though we know that we will choose on the side of God, and we have to choose on the side of God, it's not a very simple decision. And, And that's what I propose to leave with you that on a daily basis, you keep thinking about how you will act if you are confronted or you are in situations of conflicts of laws. And there's that battle for you to to deal with. So I'm going to give um, a few situations that, um, it's scenarios of how people have dealt with some of these examples. And I would end with the answer that some of them chose, and I think it's very uh, instructive for us in terms of how our responses should be like when we are faced with similar situations. And the last of the response is something that um, this morning I listened to Pastor Adrian on Acts chapter 5, and that was um, the last point that we will end, and then I'm not going to um, labor it so much uh, because when I listen to it, you're very grounded as far as um, where I will end is concerned. And so 
Let's start with the book of Esther. And we're going to look at the situation that the Jewish people found themselves in during the time that Esther was placed in an opportune place to be a help to God's people. So Esther, I'm going to be going quick through this um, in in the interest of time. So we'll go straight to Esther 3. And the context, we have a situation where there's a plot to destroy God's people, Jewish people, who appear different at the time that King Ahasuerus was reigning in the Shushan. And if we pick up from Esther 3, 8 and 9, what we find there is the plot by Haman. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So, the same situation that we find ourselves in, not so much as they found themselves in, the specifics of the laws are not given, but these were God's people whose laws were definitely different from the land where they were living. They observed the laws of God. And so if there was any law that says on a Saturday like this, let's go to Panemge and cheer Canada, Team Canada, we said, no, we cannot do that. I'm sorry. We need to go and worship our God. And everybody looks at us like strangely, what you, oh, Canada, go, Canada, and what, you going to worship, do something different? Yes, we need to go and worship our God on a Sabbath day. We cannot go to the Panam Games, I'm sorry. So, they would have had these kinds of situations, and it's become so noticeable that Haman will pick on that and say, they don't obey the king's laws, so make another law. That we will wipe them. And I'm even ready to pay for this wiping out. This is a wicked man. But the point is, we have situations where there will be man's laws and there will be God's laws. And we got to make a choice which one we follow. Now, because of this situation that um, they, they wanted to compromise them. Haman is going to kill them. He's got, he eventually got the king to make that 
law because every king wants to solidify their their kingdom and their reign on citizens. So it, it's not anything hard for the king to accept. Let's go to verse 13. Verse 13, and letters were sent by Korea unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month. So a date was set, and the way it is, it's going to be very, um, what is a bad word to use here? That is acceptable. <laughs> it's going to be very savagery. Because they're saying some, you're going to kill, you're going to, like anything you do to get rid of them, you will do it. And it appearing to me in the reading that it's not like some trained guys doing lethal injections and making you kind of feel a little comfort in your sleep dying. It's a very terrible kind of um, situation that's been described here. But, Mordecai, because it's now published, knows the date. He goes to Esther to beseech Esther and say, Esther, you are in a good place. Go to the king and tell the king that you and your people are the ones that are going to be destroyed. Esther and Mordecai do some back and forth because Mordecai's clothing, he can go into the, the place here um, and, and he's not even accepting Esther's offer to change clothes and come to me and talk, let's talk. So we have a mediator going between Esther and Mordecai, send a message back and forth. Eventually, Esther is trying to investigate and to find out what's going on, but I mean, Mordecai goes straight to the point. And he said, do not think in your heart, verse 4, sorry, chapter 4, verse 13, do not think in your heart that you would escape in the king's palace any more than all the Jews. So Esther, stop this back and forth. You need to go and talk to the king so that we can get escape. Now, there's another situation of a law in that land, if the king has not invited you to his presence, you don't go there. So Esther acknowledges that, yes, you know this. You know what's happening in this state. The king hasn't called me for about a month. So how do I go to the presence of the king to take my petition there when I have not been invited? You know that when I go there without invitation, there is one thing that is certain, and that is death for me. So what's, what makes the difference? I would die anyway. And now we want him to go and die. So Esther is presenting the real situation. It's a fact. It's not that she doesn't want to go, but it's a fact. She cannot go. But Mordecai has seen something different. And he's pushing Esther to make that journey. And the resolve of Esther is at the crux of what we're talking about today. So look at Esther's situation. Faced with conflict. The king has a law. And your people are dying. Are going to be dying. It's against the law of God. That somebody pick anything. And, and try to kill. We have these conflicts. 
how do we resolve them? We will resolve um, the, the Esther situation. But let's look at another situation in the book of Daniel. And here I probably would try to run it in, in a commentary for you. Uh, but we're referring to Daniel chapter 3. And King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image and makes a decree that everybody in my kingdom, if you hear all the music and everything, pomp and pageantry going on, extolling the virtues of this image, everybody, you go down and you worship this image. But there is a group of people in the land who know something different. That we don't worship images. We don't worship things that are created. Because we worship only the creator. So they are presented with this situation where they either have to choose to worship the image of the king. Or obey the ultimate creator and say no we are not going to do that. So we, we have the situation of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These Jewish young men faced with this situation. And so they don't bow to the image. People find them out and they go and report to the king. The king summons them. They go before the king. And the king is trying to tell them, Why? I've heard that you people are not worshipping the image. Oh, the king, is that, what is it about? If it's about just worshipping the image, then forget it. We don't have to battle this and debate this and give you reasons. We're not going to do it, Cain. We're not going to do it because we know different. Even though we captives here, we came from somewhere. We know where we came from and we know what we believe. We are not allowed to bow to images. So we're not going to do that. And their response was very... Um, strong and good. And if we look at, um, let me quickly look at 316. I mean, Daniel, I'm sorry. <laughs> so in 316, as if it's on its own. So Daniel 3 and 16. And it says, Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So, whether we get deliverance or not, we're not going to worship any image that you've set up. Go ahead. Your punishment is that you take us to the fiery furnace. We're ready. And it was done. We know what happened. God delivered them. The, the other situation is the case of Daniel himself. And Daniel is dealing with the lion's den. 
Nobody is allowed to pray to any entity apart from beseeching the gods of Medo Persia. So now Nebuchadnezzar is gone. The, king is, uh, the kingdom has been overthrown. The Medes and the Persians are in control. Darius is ruling. And this is a different situation. Daniel was faced with the same situation when there are people in the land, Jewish people, that call on a God that is different from the God of the Medes and Persians. And so Daniel, in his response, in Daniel... 610. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that nobody can seek petition any God apart from the God of that land, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. So knowing that that is the consequence of praying to God, he went ahead three times in the day, he prayed to his God. He is faced with the same situation of having to obey the laws of the land or obey his God. Now, the response, the one that we left in Esther, so if we would pick up Esther's response to Mordecai, then we would wrap up there. So these are situations that we need to reflect how they are gradually creeping into our lives and what is informing us in the response that we would have to take. So Esther 4, let's look at 15. Then Esther said, sorry, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And also I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. This is where, brothers and sisters, we need to end. That there could be deliverance and there will be deliverance. But whether there is deliverance or not, we should be able to resolve in the same manner that Esther is saying that I will go against the law. If I perish, I perish. Because I don't have to fear the one who can kill the body and has nothing else to do. The one that I got to fear is the one who can throw the whole human being into hellfire for condemnation. So combine that with 
Acts chapter 5, verse 29, which you have dealt with so well, and recognize that when Peter and the other apostles have been faced with a situation where the religious establishment is saying, we don't have anything to do with this Christ and his resurrection and anything you're talking about, we have strictly commanded you not to preach in this name again. We put you in jail, you got deliverance, but remember, we commanded you. That's the law from the religious establishment. But if we look at 29, then they said, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. If we perish, we perish. If we do that and we don't, we don't get delivered, it doesn't mean our God is dead. But in the life of the apostles, we've read situations where there was dramatic deliverance. Deliverance from jail that they could not even understand. But they also got the other end. It doesn't mean our God is dead. It means our God is in charge. And if we perish, we perish. Let's think about this. There are laws creeping up. And there are situations that are coming upon us. And we need to reflect when there is a battle of laws. Thank you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.